I feel so much freer this uh, second service because I realized with all that we're doing today, I had way too much stuff. And so I was trying to navigate through that. So I know what I can do. I know what I want to talk, communicate very quickly, very succinctly to you. So I, I'm feeling great. I will tell you this. I am going to tell on Steve where's he at because uh, he was pretty proud of the joke he cracked. But um, as I was getting into it, and it was apparent I was you know, going slow and I was just getting and time was going and Steve looked at his watch and he's thinking, oh, great. And, and uh, so he, he told Gabby after the service, Gabby Barron's, Pastor Ken's wife, he said, I was pretty sure that you might become a part of the Mother's Club by the time he was going to finish. <laughs> you might be able to celebrate Mother's Day with us by the time he was about ready to finish. So I feel free because I know exactly what I can communicate in the time I have. Um, I would like to share a couple things with you right up front. Most of you probably heard of Bear Bryant, um, the legendary football coach, college football coach, uh, the University of Alabama, right? Um, you think college football, you, 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 one of the first things you would think of would be Bear Bryant. Yeah, even in Ohio State country, Bear. Uh, the guy who wore the hound's tooth, who, wore, who won, what, six national titles. Legendary in a lot of ways, but he was known as a, a, a pretty stern man, pretty strict coach. Um, if you've watched Junction Boys, the movie, you kind of got an idea that he uh, demanded a lot. He expected a lot. And uh, there's a story of, of one year Alabama was playing Auburn. Big rivalry, right? The Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State rivalry of the South, all right? Alabama, Auburn. It's late in the game. Alabama's up by like two points. And they have the ball and they've driven inside the Auburn 10. So, I mean, and it's under two minutes. And they are about ready to seal this thing. They pretty much, if they score, it's over. But they also can run the clock out too and end the game. And so they, they get a first down inside the 10. They call a play on first down. And their quarterback gets hurt. Their quarterback gets hurt and has to leave the game. So they call a timeout. But no, still no big deal, right? Uh, you don't, you're inside the 10, not much is expected of the backup quarterback. So Bear looks at the quarterback and just says simply, hey, this is easy. Three downs, you're going to hand the ball off to the running back. We're going to get out of here with the win. Even if we don't score, we're going to run the clock out. It's all you got to do. And this guy was pretty slow. Um, and he said, just hand the ball off to the running back. First, second down, boom, hands it off. Auburn stops him, no big deal, clock's still running. Third down, boom, Auburn stops him on the run, no big deal. They still have one more down, they can run this thing out. Fourth down, quarterback takes a snap and miscommunicates with the running back. I guess the running back went one way, he went another. For whatever reason, the handoff didn't happen. And all of a sudden, that quarterback is holding the ball, needing to do something with the ball. And as he begins to scramble a little bit, um, the words of Bear Bryant leave his mind. Don't throw the ball. Whatever you do, don't throw the ball. And he notices that the tight end has broken into the end zone and he looks like he's free and he's thinking, this is it. All I gotta do is throw this little pass. He's gonna catch it. I'm gonna seal the win. And, and so he decides to, to let go of the football. 
not realizing, obviously he was a backup quarterback, not realizing that Alabama's or Auburn's All-American free safety was keeping an eye on that tight end. Fastest guy on the field. Steps in front of the pass. And of course, if, if he's at one end, everybody's at one end, what has he got in front of him? Nothing but green grass. And all of a sudden, this game looks like a shocker. Going in for the score or going to run the clock out and inside the 10, all of a sudden, Auburn safety is racing the other way to score a touchdown to win the game for Auburn. But if you watch that game, you realize that about inside the Alabama 20, the 15, the 10, all of a sudden, the Auburn safety is tackled by the second string quarterback. And, and Alabama hangs on to win the game as the guy is tackled inside the 10 and doesn't make it into the end zone. As they're coming to midfield, the coaches are coming to shake hands. The Auburn coach is just shaking his head in disbelief. It just, you know, in fact, it's so much, it's so unbelievable to him. He just blurts out to Bear Bryant, how in the world did that happen? How did he catch my free safety slow? We know he's slow. And Bear Bryant looked at him and said, well, your kid was running to score six points. My kid was running for his life. <laughs> right? Fear. Fear. Fear motivated him to do what he could not normally do. And I think as we've come to a point last week in our, in our series of of being set apart. This is the goal of, of, of God for us. To set us apart. To make us holy. To make us Christ-like. That's what he's wanting to do. That's what he's up to in our lives. We come to that pivotal moment where we realize this is what he wants to do. He's provided the way. His Holy Spirit is available. He's the one that can make this happen in our lives. What is our response? And it's, it, is, it is simply in this word surrender, surrender. But in that word surrender, there comes with it a whole lot of things for us. Because it is, it is difficult, very difficult difficult for us to surrender for a lot of different reasons. But I've, I've realized too that when we have come to a place, maybe we have recognized it's the only thing that makes sense. It's what I should do with my life. It's, it's the way that I can become the person I'm supposed to be. It's, it's what God's plan is. That even if we take that step and we surrender ourselves completely to him in this exclusive relationship, that often it's accompanied by fear. It's a fearful thing to do. It's something that some people won't do because of fear of losing control, but often people who are willing to do it live with it being a fearful thing because they've lost control, because they don't know what's gonna happen, because, and fear so often accompanies surrender. And a lot of times people, motivated by doing what's right, still live in fear of what all that means and how it's gonna play out. And I would remind you of this, this little story that I read 
about a rancher in, in California who had applied for a grant and had received a grant to study other agricultural practices in other places. And the grant was of the magnitude that he was able to pick wherever he was gonna go to, to, to observe how do they do things here? How do they raise crops? How do they uh, raise livestock? And he chose Australia. And for three weeks he went and he lived and watched and observed and gathered information and knowledge about what they did. And as he was preparing to depart, and, or as he was preparing, he was winding down and he was spending some time, some last, some last time with those ranchers, they were asking him, so what did you observe about us? What's different about us than you? Did you learn anything? Was there anything that you can take with you? And he mentioned a few things, but then he mentioned this. He said, you know, one of the, the biggest things I observed was that here there are very few fences you guys, you guys don't fence in your livestock. He said, where I'm from, man, we have high-tech fences. We have sophisticated ways that we do fencing. We are very interested in keeping our livestock in. He said, I've noticed here that you don't do that. There's a fence every once in a while that like if there's a cliff, they'll put a fence so the uh, uh, a sheep wouldn't just walk off and fall off the cliff. There's some fences here and there, but really it's, it's an unfenced territory. And so why is that? How, how, do you be, are, how are you able to raise livestock without fences? And they said, you know what? Uh, it's something that years ago we realized. We realized that if we would take time and effort to build really good and deep wells that brought out the best water. We never really had to worry about our livestock leaving their area. If we dig deep wells, <laughs> they stay because they are satisfied with that water. And they just don't care to go anywhere else. And I'm hoping that we realize that living a life of surrender enables us to drink the deep well of what God has for us. And if we begin to experience that life of surrender, as we drink from that well, there's just really not much. There's nothing that causes us to want to go anywhere else. Once you've tasted what this life is, because it's not a fearful life. This life of surrender is a life where for the first time, you and I can rest. We can relax. We can understand that we don't have to. We're not in control. We, we don't have to figure it out. It's not on us. You say, that sounds passive. That sounds completely like a hippie village in California, you know, just kind of sit back and do the yoga life or whatever. What does that accomplish? What does that do? The surrendered life is not a life of inactivity. In fact, I would tell you 
that the surrendered life causes you to become more productive, more active, more initiative-driven because you are now resourced and energized by something that is greater than just your own effort and your own strength. But guess what? When you and I experience the peace that comes from being at rest, that is drinking so deep deeply of the well that God has for us. Remember the song Fanny Crosby wrote, 1800s? Blessed assurance, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. That's exactly what she was writing about right then. She had tapped into the knowledge, the life, the experience of finally being able to let go and let God have control. When that happens, wow, life begins to just become what it was meant to be. I wanted to remind you of that today because I feel like what I want to do today and next week is just say, okay, so I see surrender is, is the call of my life. What does that look like? You know, a lot of you, I haven't got to this point yet, but I'm sure I will. Uh, when one of my kids is preparing to get married, um, I'm sure I'll sit down with them or Nicole will sit down with her, both of us, and, and just, I'm sure they'll ask, what, what can I expect? What does this look like? What do I need to know? You've done that, right, with your kids. Just shared some, this is what this looks like. This is how this works. I think that's what I just want to accomplish uh, these next two weeks. Just to say, hey, this is what the surrendered life looks like. If I'm gonna be set apart, if God's gonna do his great work in me, if he's gonna make, mold, fashion me into a person I never could be in my own strength and to be able to do things that I could never do in my own strength, then it calls me to be surrendered. But what does that mean? How does that, what does that look like? How does it work in my life? What do the scriptures say about it? And I think just two things I wanna communicate to you this morning. One is this, that a life of surrender, being set apart is a lifestyle of many surrenders. It's lived through many surrenders. You see, unfortunately in our tradition so often, we have preached this message of holiness, of surrender, and we preach to the, if you can just climb and claw yourself to a point where you're surrendered, then it's over. You just coast the rest of your life. You've just reached the, and that is not what the scriptures communicate to us at all. This life of being set apart calls us to, yes, move into a surrendered life, but there is a maintaining of that surrendered life. I've experienced this myself. Man, I stood uh, or in my 20s is when I really moved into this, this reality in my life. And you know what I've realized? That I've grown as a person. 
I've faced a new phase of life. I've faced situations I never dreamed I would. I have learned more about myself. I have, I, listen, I've been married, right? That reveals a lot about yourself. And, and the more you're married, the more you see about yourself. And all through those times, even though I was like, Lord, I want, I'm surrendered to you as I've lived, as I've grown, as I've experienced, I've realized that there was more and more that I needed to just say, okay, God, I give this to you. I surrender this to you. It's not just a one-time surrender for all time. It is a life of continuous many surrenders at many different points in our life. And for some of you, you've never heard that message preached. For others of you, you've heard it preached where, man, just surrender once and then, and that's not at all what the scriptures teach. In fact, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, what we talked about last week, be filled with the spirit. The words there, or let the spirit have control of your life is what it's saying. Surrender your life to the leadership, the lordship of the Holy Spirit. It actually, the words there, the way the Greek is, is written, it is be filled and continuous, continuously be being filled. Many fillings, many instances of yes, Lord, okay, here, I'm, here I am, I surrender. So it's not, okay, I'm surrendered, but now I've moved to this area of my life where why am I, why am I? It's, there's points all along our life where we are saying, yes, Lord. In fact, now the disposition of our heart is simply, yes, Lord. But it is exercised through the many different experiences and growth of life. The set-apart life is a life of many surrenders. The second thing, though, I would share with you today is the set-apart life is a life It's a process. It's a process. And this is where I probably want to anchor for next week. But I just want to share with this this idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this. We, uh, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And in doing so, we are being transformed. There's a word like we used in the mind series, metamorphosis. We're being changed, transformed into his image. Goal of everything is Jesus Christ, into his image. We're being made into his image with a what? Ever-increasing glory. Now, the context for all of this is this. Paul has been trying to show these people that what they have in Jesus Christ is far better than what the Jewish people had with the law. And he said, listen, you remember when Moses went up on the mountain and, and he met with the Lord, and the Lord wrote on those tablets the Ten Commandments. And, and you remember that in that meeting with the Lord that Moses got to experience the glory of God. Remember? This glorious moment. In fact, he got to experience uh, the presence of God so much and his glory so much that when he came down off the mountain, his face glowed so much that he actually had to wear a veil over his face. Because if the people were to have looked on his face because it was shining so brightly with God's glory, it would harm them. You guys remember that? 
Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Exodus chapter 19, 20, you can read about it. But trust me on it, okay? I'm telling you the truth. I'm not telling you a story. But you know what happened? Is that glory that was on Moses' face, it began to diminish and diminish and diminish until there came a point where the glory had diminished from his face and he was able, he didn't have to wear a veil the rest of his life, right? It was diminishing. He said, listen, that was what God was doing then. But really what God has always been up to is to create an ever-increasing glory in your life. If Jesus Christ is the glory of God, if we think glory of God, we think, you know, fire and all this great magnitude. Really, the scriptures say that the glory of God is the person of Jesus Christ. The most glorious thing about God is Jesus. His life, his love, everything. And he says that, listen, that his glory now through the power of his Holy Spirit has come to live in us. And that his spirit, his glory, comes into our lives and it begins to transform us in his image. The more we interact with it, the more we encounter it, the more we walk with his Holy Spirit in our life, we are changed by that, correct? Absolutely. We are changed. And in fact, he uses this language, it's an ever-increasing glory. And right there, that verse becomes an anchor for us to realize what the scripture is talking about in many other places. It uses this word a lot of times, sanctification, right? Huge word, how many syllables is that? I don't know, sanctification, you know. I don't know, big word, scary word. Especially if you're not read the scriptures, you're like, what in the world is that? Doesn't sound like something I'm, you know, Really, the process, the sanctification is simply the process by which God sets us apart or makes us holy. His sanctifying presence in our life, his unique, distinct spirit in our life sanctifies us, sets us apart more and more and more. This is how it works. The longer I walk with him, the more I change my life. That's my grandma, the, the, the most saintly person I have ever met. I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend any of you else. But my grandma, the kind of person, I kid you not, she died in 2011, but if I could have brought her up here, you would say, I don't know that woman, but I do know something about that woman. She just had the presence of the Lord and her, the spirit of Christ was all over her. She just was like, you gravitated toward her. That's this woman at 70 years old, at 75 years old, sharing with me, Chip, I just gotta tell you what the Lord has been showing me this week, what he's been teaching me this week, how he's been changing my life this week how he's been showing me where I need this to change. I'm sitting there thinking, you don't need anything to change. You're perfect, right? What needs to happen with you? The secret to all of that was she realized the process. 
of sanctification. And she gave herself, she surrendered herself to allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wanted to do in her life. And it's an ever-changing from glory to glory to glory to glory until what do the scriptures say? Until you and I pass from this earth, we are finally fully glorified. When we see Jesus, we will then become like, completely like Jesus. It's this process. And being surrendered makes you available, makes you available to this beautiful process of his sanctifying power through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to make you into his image. It's what Ephesians says, we are his workmanship. That word is masterpiece, a work of art. Of everything that God has created in this world, all the, the, the wonders of the world and the great, mag- the, all the awesome stuff, God says, the best thing I ever did was make man. They are my work of art. And he says that actually that we be, become who we always intended to be. We become the masterpiece when we his work, his spirit is changing us, conforming us, transforming us, and making us into his image. Surrender is not an arrival to anything. Surrender is the beginning of what now God can do with our lives. And I think that's important for us to realize. We're not just scrap, scraping and clawing to get to a point where finally, okay, God, I finally feel like I can give you everything. Now I'm just gonna lay here and, you know, and, and you're just gonna, I'm gonna coast through life and you're gonna take, no. Surrender is simply saying, okay, God, I see you wanna do something great with my life. Here I am. Now let's get on with it. John Wesley said that, sur- that surrender is simply the front door into the house that God has made for our lives to be enjoyed in his presence. All right, 1146, that's a little too long. Let's stand. You're lucky I don't go three and four, right? I got two more points. You don't want to hear that. I'm hungry. I know you're hungry. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you, God. Lord, I, I, so, I so desperately want us to grab a hold of this. I know this isn't the series where I'm talking about the hope that you give and the love that you show, and those are all right and good, but Lord, at the heart of who you are is you wanna make us like Jesus Christ. This is your heart. And so, Lord, help us to sink our teeth in to what you are wanting us to see and know. And and that surrendered life, there's things that we can become aware of that help us to understand, oh, this is a process. So, yeah, I'm not arrived. And and that's why I still uh, have this to be worked out in my life. And that's why I thought when I surrendered, I was gonna be, no, it's a process. You teach us so much. Lord, help each one of us to to have the courage in our heart to simply make the choice to give ourselves completely to you because then you are able to do what you've always intended. Thank you, Lord, for our mothers today. Bless them on this day. Bless each family. Help us to have a great week and a wonderful day in Jesus' name.